What's up, good people? Michael here, host of the latest political podcast, Cuckoo for Politics, where I am cuckoo and passionate about politics, and I'm sure you are too. You wouldn't be listening. Hey, so with that in mind, grab your favorite libations, whether it be coffee, tea, water, juice, beer, wine, or spirit or two. We'll talk about the hot topics that matter to you. Let's get started. Ronald Reagan, the 40th U.S. president. He said this on the issue of immigration. Virtually all of us as Americans trace our ancestry back to immigrants from distant lands. The current president, Donald Trump, rose to political prominence by using the catchphrase, build that wall, reinforcing a negative connotation associated with immigrants. I invited back Sam Jean, a Haitian descendant, to talk about immigration and his political evolution. As you recall, he is a fellow alum from Eastern Nazarene College, as well as an alum from Boston University School of Law. There, he concentrated on intellectual property, then became an associate and then a partner at Neil Schwartz Associates. He worked for several entertainment companies before establishing his own consulting company, where he advises clients in the areas of strategic communication, media relations, and crisis communications. This will be a two-part series, and once again, Thank you, Sam, for coming back to another episode for Cuckoo for Politics. Good people, Michael here, host of the political podcast, Cuckoo for Politics. Today, we're going to be talking to Sam Jean, his evolution of becoming from a Republican to a Democrat. Sam Jean, how are you? I'm good, Michael. How are you? All right, all right. You're calling... I'm calling you from uh, Pennsylvania, but you're in sunny Los Angeles. How's yes, the weather sir. holding up over there? 91 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, Michael. Not, but can you breathe <laughs> with all that smoke? <laughs> That's the why key do, thing. Why do you have to insert some bad thing <laughs> in there, Michael? And the other <laughs> thing I'm going to take you to task for is you said I went from a Republican to a, a Democrat. And, and, you know, you're giving the people false information. <laughs> but don't find out what you mean by that. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and to our listeners, we had an early conversation. So um, this will lead into why I made that uh, sarcastic comment. So, Mr. Sam, um, just to give our listeners a little background, you and I grew up together briefly as far as our collegiate years back in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, we've got to know each other. We have similar circle of friends that we went to school with and those we keep in contact post-graduation. Um, we still kept in touch over the years. In fact, um, I was honored to be part of your wedding party in uh, Tulum, Mexico, which was a great time by all. Um, got to meet more of your extended family as well. So uh, let's talk about a little of where you're coming from. Um, so our listeners know, outside our collegiate relationship, um, let's go a little background as far as you growing up in um, your native country of Haiti, where we have a similar background. Yeah, so like you pointed out, I, I wasn't born in America. I was born in Haiti, 
and uh, my parents had to leave my brother and I, and you know they did that immigrant thing of coming to America to search for a better life. There was a lot going on in Haiti uh, in the 70s, the late 60s, 70s, in terms of it having an authoritarian regime and, and people just not feeling safe. So you had a lot of people fleeing, a lot of people exiled, a lot of people generally left. Uh, my parents left in the pursuit of a better life. So uh, I didn't come to America until I was six. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Age six. Now, that's interesting. So you uh, obviously, French and Creole were your background or first language. And then, of course, you had to, or did you learn English while in Haiti? No, no. Which is what makes uh, people who immigrate from countries where English isn't the first language, that's one of the things that makes it even more difficult, is that you have to, you have to learn the language. It's a little easier for kids, um, but when I came, I, I think we came in, in July, uh, I watched the Yankees, I watched like Sesame Street, I watched a few <laughs> of those shows. And you know, at that age, your brain can soak up all this stuff. So by the time school started in Brooklyn, um, I knew a couple of words to get around. Uh, but by the end of the school year, I could communicate. Um, All right. So you you didn't have to say Sakmase every two seconds. No, no, no. <laughs> and, and then, you know, it's also the thing is there is this desire to assimilate because it makes your social interactions with other children easier. Right. Like if 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 we talk the same talk, we walk the same walk, we can be friends, you know. But um, if I can't understand you, you know, how are we going to be friends? So there was that thing and our parents wanted us to know how to speak English. But, you know, you know, Mike, later in life, they used that to drag us along when they wanted us to translate for them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, my parents migrated from Haiti in, in 68. Mm -hmm. um, my uncle came here first, sponsored his siblings, which was one of my mom. She came and my father came as well. My sisters were born in Haiti. Mm -hmm. And so they had to, you know, learn the language. But what's interesting, and um, you touch on it about immigrants, um, you know, it's, it's a special thing to me only because the fact that when my parents came here and my relatives, they had to learn the language. They had to learn the culture. They had to take menial jobs in the in the interim in order to as they went to night school to learn the language so once they finish learning and mastering the english language and its culture they were able to get the middle class jobs that were offered to them because that's what they were accustomed to um, living in haiti uh, as far as my father being a contractor and my mother being a teacher so when they came here they had to learn the language and also assimilate just like you just mentioned about your parents so talking about your parents, they came here. They also, um, what was your, your parents' profession prior and in your profession when they came to America? Well, it's funny that you mention uh, the distinctions of people coming from Haiti uh, because you have a lot of people who came from Haiti who were highly educated, 
but because they couldn't speak the language or because their degrees weren't respected, they had to do menial jobs until they could prove themselves. And then there were people who did the kind of service jobs in Haiti where there's no way that it translates into money here. Here's what I mean by that. My dad was educated at a seminary. Him and my mom are ministers. Okay. Okay. Uh, but we only learned this later, Michael, when we ran into uh, American, and it was usually white American pastors who were getting paid to be pastors, right? Because in our culture, the pastor has a job as well as being the pastor. Uh, if yes. you're a Protestant, now, if you're a Catholic, I should make that clear. If you're a Catholic, it, 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 it's, it's a little bit different, but the principle is still the same, right? Um, you, you have another job that pays you, and, and then what you're doing is sort of a gift, right, if you will, to the Lord, to the community, however, however they want to express that. So when my parents came here, so my dad's profession was he was a tailor, but he had gone to seminary, he had a degree, and he was a pastor. So okay. when he came here, he didn't have a church, you know, he was, he was getting on his feet. And, and the only job that he could get was working in a sweatshop. Because That's he, what my mom did, too. Yeah, he worked in a sweatshop because he was, he was a tailor by profession. And when I say tailor, uh, there was a couple of years where my dad tried to send us to parochial school because the public schools were, were so bad. Um, he, he, he sent us to Catholic school for a couple of years, and he made our uniforms. Like he, oh wow! No, no, he was like legit. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Yeah, so, okay. so, so, so that's what he did, and he worked at these sweatshops. But the interesting thing about these sweatshops is they were forever getting raided, and at that time it was immigration, and so you would hear, "Hey, immigration," and everybody would get up and run because most of the people there, uh, contrary to popular belief they didn't have papers it wasn't that they were illegal it most of them just got a visitor's visa and stayed right mm -hmm. and so they had overstayed their visa and then there were some people who had no papers clearly and there were some people and by no papers it could simply be they didn't even have a social security card number right nobody is you, you know it's not a place that you go if you have real options and you would hear immigration, uh, they would bang on the door, kick the door in, and everyone would run. And this was kind of in Brooklyn, this was in Brooklyn. So they would run to the roof and they would roof hop to get away from the immigration <laughs> official. Wow, and, that's crazy. And my dad was like in his 20s, you know, and he's, he's, a, he's a farm <laughs> kid from Haiti. So they're never going to catch him. <laughs> they were never going to catch him. That, that's crazy rooftop jumping i could just picture it um just seeing that happening and you know what uh because that's another thing uh, we can expand on that on a later um topic as far as immigrants when they come here they do their best they can to assimilate mm -hmm. into the host country and in order to get better paying jobs they have to take menial jobs until they get accustomed but what i find interesting is that what people assimilate assume should i say when they think immigrant they always think 
someone swimming across the ocean, not realizing majority of those who come are coming through the airports. Well, it that that is a it, it's an it's no yeah, but it's 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 more to me of a modern phenomenon. You know, um, when I was growing up, they made jokes about uh, Haitian boat people and, and and things of that nature, but they also were aware of. They're also immigration wasn't considered a bad thing. Now they made fun of you, but they didn't make fun of you because you immigrated. Do you understand the distinction that I'm trying to make yes. there, right? And 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 so the immigrant wasn't a bad thing. Now in today's political climate, they want to make the immigrant a bad thing, so they have to define it in all the ways that it can scare people. Right? So you get you get sayings about look at the size of their cantaloupes. None of them are educated. They're coming here taking jobs from people who might need them. You know, they give this impression about what the immigrant is, and it depends. There, there are people who were doctors in their countries, and now they're 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 picking oranges, right? It, it, yes. It's important mm -hmm. to it's important to to have that distinction. But like I said, most of the people who immigrate here, they come through an airport, they come off of a boat, and then they just overstay their visa because for a while it wasn't America welcomes tourists and, and people who want to get here know how to get here. And, and you said the mean, the menial jobs currently you see during this current pandemic that there are, there are spikes as far as COVID-19 in certain factories, mm -hmm. as far as in the agri agribusiness, mm -hmm. Um, I know, and they're not taking away jobs that Americans mm -hmm. don't want. They're just taking a job that avails itself. Mm -hmm. I know myself; I'm not interested in plucking feathers off a chicken. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, I, but I, I respect it, the fact those individuals it, that do it. Now. It's back-breaking work, um, but but even but so. but even outside of that, there's a science to what they're doing, right? You could take a Wall Street executive and put him in front of a a machine and ask him to do what this worker is doing and he would have no idea right because there's a if you put me in a grove of of, ap, of apples or oranges and we're like okay pick them i wouldn't know which ones to pick i have a hard enough time exactly. at the grocery store deciding right like so true it, it, it's one of those things that the things that we value as a society we can see that by how we talk about these jobs. When I was growing up, like one of the most respected professions was like being a mechanic, right? The mechanic had, had it, it, it was a respected profession. Nobody looked down on you because you were a mechanic and everybody needed a mechanic. They respected what people do, you know? Um, in my neighborhood right now, most of the mechanic shops they're run by, by, by immigrants. And if you have an older car, and lots of people in California have older cars, that's where you would go. I would know, you know, a month, I wouldn't know how to help you, <laughs> you know? Like, you take it to the local <laughs> yes. shop, they wouldn't know how to help you because everything's computerized. But we, no, I, I, we yeah. have to be careful about how, and when I say we, I mean America, 
has to be careful about how it talks about jobs that people, you know, that people do. And then the jobs that people do that sustain us, but we never see them. You know, you just go to the grocery store and you buy your chicken. How did it get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether it be fresh or frozen, <laughs> yeah. there's a way, there's a, mean, there's yeah. a means of how we got there. It, it reminds me of an earlier podcast I did with uh, a Claudette Williams. She's a, a native of Jamaica. And we just touched on um, immigration and we touched on as far as building that wall and what that resonated and what that meant. And she she said it, and I'm going to paraphrase. She said something along the lines that when America builds these walls to prevent immigrants from from coming to America, what they're doing is basically preventing America to grow, inhibiting their growth. Because she says she is a descendant. She came here, and her children have contributed to society. She she volunteered and became uh, uh, in the military. She went to the U.S. military. She left as a top ranking for enlisted person as a sergeant major. Then her children are, one is an executive at Atlantic Records. Another is a police officer in Atlanta police. And her other child, which I forgot right now, but her point was, she says with that, they are contributing to society. So just like yourself, your family has contributed to society. I mean, you're a, a prominent lawyer. I forgot what your siblings up others do. You could remind our listeners. Uh, there is, How they contributed they're to in the, They're in the music business. I'll say that. Okay. okay. They're in the music business. One is now into um, home rehabilitation. Uh, one is in real estate. But 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 you 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 make a really you make a really good point, Mike. I thought you were trying to drag something else out of me, Mike. That's why I hesitated. But no. um, but but you 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 do you make a really good point. Is that part of the thing about what makes America work? Is that people come here, their children stay here, and their children contribute. That's how you have healthy immigration. That's how you have a healthy society. And this notion that only a certain kind of person can come here. Right. Because that's that's what the immigration has been now. Right. The discussion about the immigration that only a certain kind of person can come here. Um, that notion is very evident in discussions of immigration today, because when they talk about it, they're talking about a particular type of person. Yeah. And that's why the dream, the dreamers, as I think uh, President Obama tried to address with his executive action, and that's still being challenged in this current administration is that there are those descendants that came here, their parents mm-hmm. brought them here. All they know yeah. is America. They contributed by opening a business, going into US military, other medical, um, educational professions, yeah. you name it, um, they, they contribute. So when your father uh, came here and he, and you, you said your parents, he was, um, he went to seminary and was a tailor and you said they started so, a church? Is that eventually Yeah, so, when he, when he finally uh, was able to obtain his green card, uh, and he got his social security card, you know, everything right, when he could get his papers right, um, by that time my mom was already here, and, and he, had, he had gotten my brother, he started to take these jobs in hospitals, because if you recall in Brooklyn, 
like those were well-paying jobs. And, and by well-paying, I mean, if you were going to be a, a maintenance man, a janitor, like we used to call it, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in, a, in a supermarket, you would rather do it at a hospital. You were going to get paid more, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so, and, and because you, got, you could say yeah, I work the, in a hospital versus yeah, I work in a supermarket. There, there's, there's that, there's that thing. Notion. And so my dad started taking those types of jobs. So he, 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 he worked at those places and he had a church. Um, and the church was growing and the church was growing and the church was growing. And, and it's only in retrospect, I realized how young he was doing this, you know? So he had a pretty big church for Brooklyn at that time, like probably close to 150 members. And, and they loved him and he, he loved doing it. Um, But, you know, at the time too, there was a lot of crime and, 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 and violence, right. Um, in the neighborhoods, the, these were things that you would see, but it was also, you know, it was also reflective of what was going on in the, in the world, you know, but those kinds of things where, uh, people who were coming to church would get robbed. People got shot, people, home invasions, uh, burglaries, those kinds of things, assaults on people. Um, you know, my dad saw all, all of this. Okay. And and that that began to frame uh, his political beliefs about what should be happening, and especially also uh, all the things that were happening in Haiti politically. So, my dad, yeah. For our listeners, just so you may just want to touch on this is in the eighties. Was you talking about politically what was going on in Haiti? We had Baby Doc who ruled. Um, who was the son of Francois Duvalier, who ruled under a dictatorship regime. Would you want to just yeah, touch up and, on that so a little? The father became autocratic, but when he started, that's not where he started. Uh, the father was a doctor, very smart man, uh, was educated all over the world. He even got a degree from the University of Michigan. Um, he went back to Haiti. He cured... Um, some version now, I, it's slipping me. There was there was a, a a disease that was gripping the countryside, and he went and he he cured most of the people with uh, penicillin. Um, so he was highly regarded by people in Haiti. And when he got power, he seized power. He kept power. America had a reason for keeping him in power because technically he wasn't a communist. Okay, and and so yes. even though he would rail against the United States, but one of the things is. He he wasn't a communist. And by what I what I mean about rail against the United States, he would say they're not going to tell me what to do. But he knew he could get money from them by rooting out communists. So one of the ways that he he sort of terrorized people in Haiti and later his son uh, is by accusing people of being communists. Right. And so they would just round people up, disappear them, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but the father. And that's why I'm, and that's why a, a lot, lot of people, people fled. fled. Uh, and, and there was this attack on the intellectual class and a lot of them just uh, the teachers and professors, they all they all became dissidents uh, and they all left. But the father was very competent. The son was not. And he was he was led around by generals, but he had a reputation of living a lavish playboy lifestyle. And so you had a lot of these noises about what was going on in Haiti sinking into 
uh, America, Brooklyn, Boston, Miami, Jersey. Pe- yeah, people are disaffected with what's really going on in Haiti. And, and, and so those are the things that, since this is a political podcast, that's why I shifted it, that, that I saw my father and my father had this bearing of being a law and order and discipline kind of person. Interesting. Okay. Yep. And that kind of, that makes sense that um, people who historically come from countries like that tend to gravitate to leaders who speak and talk in that tone of law and order um, versus um, that's why they, they, the allegiance to the current administration, when he uses yeah. those phrases, and, and, he, those words, he's attracting. But, those but for my dad, it was a little, it was something different. Like, the problem for him was you don't respect law and order. And this is why he liked America, right? His version was um, because he came in, you got to think right after Richard Nixon. And, and the notion is, oh, my goodness, a country held a president responsible for doing something illegal, right? For a person coming from Haiti, that's unheard of, <laughs> right, right? That, yes. That's what I mean. He's like, oh, and, and that was his frustration with the Duvalier regime is that they had no respect for the law. They had no respect for order. They had no respect for a constitution. And those were the things that drove him to come to America. Because, you know, in America, it doesn't matter if this person's related to that person. That's the myth anyway, right? Is that anybody can be anything oh, well- here. Correct, correct. And what time frame we're looking at? We're, we're talking, we're talking 80s, right? 77 to 80, let's just say 87, yeah. 87, and so we're the, transitioning yeah. early on from a exactly. late Carter administration to, Reagan. to Ronald Reagan. And I bring that up okay. to say, okay. I don't think my, my dad wasn't a, a citizen during the first election, uh, but for Reagan's re-election, yeah. Of Ronald Reagan? re-election. He, gotcha. you know, Jimmy Carter was a decent man. And I remember my dad liked Jimmy Carter as a person. Um, and But when Ronald Reagan became president, you know, everybody seemed concerned except my dad. You know, again, a lot of traditional Republican messages play well to a certain sect of people who aren't white in that time. Right. So if you talk crime and you talk to someone like my dad, who we lived in a high crime area, he's going to listen. Right. My dad isn't thinking about what's causing the crime. Right. He's thinking about there's crime and a person who talks about resolving the crime. I'm going to listen. He's a minister. Right. So, of course, a person who talks about society being more moral, quote unquote. My dad's going to listen to that, right? Um, A person who says that you should, that all people should be equal, right? Because that's the Republican thing, right? Everyone's really equal, right? That's going to, that's going to, that's going to appeal to people like my dad. And so while my dad liked Carter, I think he had no problems with Reagan. And when Reagan came back around, uh, Reagan, uh, he always had a fondness for Reagan because Reagan granted amnesty 
something that no one today would consider doing. And a Republican president did it. And so since my dad's church was full of people who were here um, technically illegally, uh, Ronald Reagan gave them the American dream. That's, that's what his interpretation was. So would you, I'm going to circle back. We're going to take a break. But I want to circle back on the notion of when Reagan became president, how your father was attracted to his style, and that kind of shaped him, and would you say shape you? We'll talk about that in our next segment. About his growing up in Haiti, as well as the influence of Ronald Reagan. And if you recall, Sam, you were talking about your father was not a citizen yet under Reagan's first term, but when he became an American citizen, he was able to register to vote and he voted for Ronald Reagan in his second term. And that helped shape not only your father, but it sounds like it helped shape you, your political mindset at the time. Yeah, there was this, there was this thing going on with me um, as a kid. I was, I was naturally curious about history. Um, go figure, right, Michael? Yeah, hey, we I both history up, <laughs> right? But I was, I was curious about history, and one of the ways that my mother got me to read the Bible was that she presented it as a history book. And so, when I looked at it that way, I, I, I just saw it as reading, and and being interested in history. You know what's interesting? Not yeah. to cut you off, but mm -hmm. it's funny how mothers try to, they look for ways, or parents in general, but mm -hmm. mothers in particular, look in their child or see what tweaks to get them a, mm -hmm. their attention. Because my parents approached it in a way of a historical perspective, which sparked my interest. Mm -hmm. so, so, so I had this conflict because I was curious about all the things I was learning about religion and the world and politics. So I was curious how my father, who didn't have a lot of secular records, right? Everything he had was either gospel or some Haitian uh, gospel Christian music. Mm -hmm. But my dad had, he had records of Martin Luther King's speeches and he would play mm -hmm. them, okay? And so I was always fascinated because I was under the impression, right? That people who were Republicans, like, King wasn't their guy, right? Like, I, I was under the impression that people who were Republicans were racist and, and these things that my surroundings seemed to tell me, right? And so I was like, how could my dad be interested in this guy, right? How could he support this guy? I remember thinking that uh, as a young kid, how could he because I would have been 13, 14. I remember I, I started to understand stuff. So I was like, how could, you know, how could my dad support that guy? Um, so there was that oh. part of me that was trying to understand that. And then when my dad would explain it, it made sense to my 13 year old mind. Right. Uh, 
law and order because look, the church was broken into again, right? We got people dealing crack in front of the church again, right? Now, later, I realized why that was happening. But as a 13-year-old, a party is telling working people that the reason that you can't move to a nicer neighborhood is because of crime, right? The reason that you can't have the things that you want is because of crime and taxes. If I take care of these things, all these things that the American dream says it is, what you've been sold, you can get it. Makes sense. It, it, oh yeah, it makes sense. To a you thirteen to a thirteen, fourteen year old, it makes sense. To a person like mm-hmm. my dad, who's living it, right? It makes sense because he's like, oh, if you cut my taxes, I will get more money. That's how he thinks about it, right? Like to to support my family of seven, right? Not not realizing some of the public um, of course reliance, uh, but yeah. but of course not. But but here's the other thing though, Michael, we were on food stamps for a while, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it so so th- that's the thing that I would say that was like this conflict that I was trying to understand, right? Like, why is it that these things that my dad is talking about that he believes they make sense to me, but there's this conflict of what I'm living, right? But here's what really pushed me to the edge. I was a person who was very curious. And some people would say that I like to argue, but but that's not <laughs> but that's not really true. I was a shy kid. I didn't mm-hmm. like to argue. But I'm the kind of person that if 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 there's a thought that I have, it's going to bother me if I don't get an answer that that will quiet that thought, right? So, people would come up to me and they would say, "I'm a democrat." I remember I had a a, a teacher in high school um, I was on the debating team and, and I think Jesse Jackson was coming into town and they were trying to see if a group of us would just go. And, and he asked me if I would go and I was like, well, why would I want to go? <laughs> right. And then, you know, kids, kids are just, I'm, I'm, I'm actually saying it in a more disrespectful way than I said it to him. Okay. <laughs> I, I wasn't disrespectful like that, but, but I would, I was like, politically, like, what does he stand for? And I had this person not be able to explain it to me in a way that was sufficiently reasonable, right? Like, I was like, okay, he's a black man running for president. Okay, that's great. But. But you didn't see the policies. No, no. but, But it wasn't explained enough to me for me to say, I should support this person over that person. Right. Um, And I felt there was a thing that I felt I felt like there wasn't this I felt like there wasn't this commitment that Republicans had. Right. They, They seemed to be more committed. Again, this is the ravings of a teenager. Right. Who's 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 by nature curious and also contrarian. So if 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 everybody is doing this then I'm going to do the opposite. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, 
you did you end up going to the Jesse Jackson rally? I did. I ended up going. Um, it was fantastic. Oh. It was great. Okay. Right? Um, you were in, you were inspired. He was a preacher uh, again, um, similar y- to your father. Yeah. You sh- Michael, they know how to get us right. Like if you if you give me a good preacher, I'm good, right? And it, <laughs> th- that's how I that's how I interpreted it. But I still, in my mind, uh, was conservative. So let me. So mm-hmm. would you say, with that background, and Reagan coming into power, and he had the evangelical group was attracted to him and his message. There's no question about that. That would you consider him Ronald Reagan a moderate or well at the time evangelical? No, but at the time, uh, again, you have to think. I'm a kid, right? So okay. the way that I what did your father say that? But the way that I interpret the information, I think he, because I think like when we talk about modern evangelicals and stuff like that, it has a different. They are a political force today. They're a political force, and they want to be a political force, and they're loud and open about being a political force. I think in 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 '84. And uh, in 84 and 80, when Ronald Reagan was running, Jimmy Carter was a decent dude who was presented as weak. He had a bad economy and it was, it was going to be hard for him to win, right? Um, uh, in 84, Walter Mondale, everybody liked Reagan uh, and it's hard for an incumbent to lose, okay? Um, so... I, I don't think that he, he just saw this guy pushing this agenda that aligned with his morals, quote unquote. Okay. And so it wasn't that he had an issue with Mondale, but he was like, I like this guy. You know, like that's where his calculation was. He was like, oh, this guy says he's going to do this. Mondale is saying some of the same things, but, you know. I'm comfortable with this guy. I don't know this new guy. I don't know what I'm going to get out of him. You know? And it, you, it's interesting because we, we're talking about a certain time period. And I said earlier that Ronald Reagan, basically in the 80s, had very close connections with the evangelical right. Um, they were very influential within his administration. And it was, to me, an observation um, it, was, it created greater ties between faith and politics, that he was very successful, uh, which led to evangelicals following Ronald Reagan. And to this day, I feel like the evangelicals have tied themselves to the Republican Party because of Ronald Reagan. Um, and given that notion, you said something earlier. Dr. King was a Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, uh, uh, you could say the Christians were, you know, entied with him. But why you would say that it seems like they strayed away? I don't uh, know. He, he was a leftist. In yeah, it's the interesting thing, too, is when people talk about King being a Republican, they often fail to provide the proper context, right? Uh uh, a king historian knows this better than I do, but I know enough to know um, that uh, being a Republican back then 
meant something completely different. And he was at the cusp of, of switching anyway, because uh, black people for a while who had been traditionally aligned with the Republican Party started to drift towards uh, the Democratic Party um, with FDR, Truman, and so forth. So you, you have this you have this shift, okay? But I, I don't think people like my dad, when they looked at it, thought Republican, Democrat, um, racist, not racist. I think that they had this view that white people were capable of racism. And so it didn't matter if they were a Republican or if they were a Democrat, right? They were capable of racism. My dad's message to us was race is not an, should not be an impediment to you um, succeeding. You know it's coming. You have to work twice as hard, three times as hard, but you know it's coming, okay? And my dad's expectation was you were going to run through that race brick wall. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's what his expectation was. Now, as, as a kid, you're like, okay, um, that sounds okay, but then you're listening to, to public enemy and they're telling you something different, <laughs> right? And you're walking to uh-huh. school and you're seeing something different and you're in school and you're learning something different and you're going out in the world. One of the interesting things is when I was in high school, I was a very good debater. Um, it was a very competitive environment and I was pretty good. But one of the reasons that I was good is I would debate white kids who would just underestimate me based on the way that I looked. And knowing who your, back, your background. That's it. They were like, yo, this is the kid mm-hmm. from Newark, you know, in their minds, right? Like, this is, this is the kid from Newark. Um, this is where Newark is. Black kid. Okay. And they would... When did you move from Brooklyn to New York? We moved from Brooklyn to New Jersey when I was 11. 11 or 12. We we moved from Brooklyn to Jersey. Uh, My dad had started a new church in in Jersey. So so that's where I went to high school. So um, in high school, I won a lot of debates simply. It wasn't because I was the better debater. It was because somebody underestimated me. And my dad knew these kinds of things would, ha- would happen. And his expectation was run through the wall. As I ran through the wall and this happened, and by the time I got to college, I got tired of running through the wall. Right? I was like, why should I have to run through any wall? <laughs> Elaborate further when you, what, what, he, what he meant by that, run through Excuse the wall. Excuse me, Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, in this country, we all know race is an issue. And my dad's thing mm-hmm. is, you're coming to this country, you're black, you're from Haiti, the language isn't your native language, you need to learn it, you need to assimilate, yet you need to retain your Haitian identity. But, and this is the thing, my dad was like, you're a black person in America, and that has challenges. And it's not fair, it's not right, but you have an opportunity 
and you have to make the most of your opportunity. And if that opportunity it, means just, running through a wall, you have to run through the wall. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I, I, I like that. That That's because coming from, uh, I'm just thinking back my own childhood, listening to stories of my father also who left Haiti coming from a majority all black mm-hmm. nation, then coming to America, realizing that he is black and not real, never had that thinking before, mm-hmm. but now he understood that here in America, they make you feel like mm-hmm. you are black or you are Chinese or you are no. Indian. There is no assimilation. Yeah. There's no um, sense of community, which is interesting. Your father seems like he inspired you a lot or influenced oh, you. Oh, I mean, he influenced me even when I didn't know he was influencing me. My, my parents mm-hmm. influenced me in ways that I didn't know because I will say this, my dad was a person when it came to political discussions and trying to understand politics, he was a person who would listen to an alternative argument and he was a person who would listen to reason. He will, you, you, could, you could reason with him and that is why he could move politically um, where he moved in terms of Haitian politics, right? If people came and made a reasonable argument to him, he was a person who would look at an issue and go, oh, okay. So I, I took that aspect from him. And, but the, my questioning nature, and then my mom, on the other hand, I think that that's where my my progressive streak was coming from. Because my my oh, mom okay. is a person who is... I, she's a saint in the sense that everybody calls her mom because people come and talk to her and she knows okay. she has this empathy about her that when you present a problem to her, the way that she resolves it is trying to resolve it in a people way, right? Resolving it in a way where people still feel like you listened to them, you respected them, you at least gave them an opportunity to be heard. You know, so my dad had that on the reason side and my mom had it on the empathy side. And so even though mm. I, I, um, I had some Republican leanings and, that's, and, and I would outwardly tell people in high school I was a Republican, but even though I had some Republican leanings, my, my instincts were towards this radical thing. And I didn't, I didn't know what it was. Right. But my instinct was that something's not right. But something's something's not right. But I didn't know what it was until I got to college. So I want to talk. Sam, I could definitely talk to you about that subject matter, how your political leanings changed once you got to a Christian campus. That is interesting and a podcast dedicated for that subject matter. I'll invite you back, of course. Let me just close out this podcast series with my closing thoughts. I truly enjoyed my conversation with Sam Jean, and I hope you did too. What began as getting to know his backstory and discussing the subject of immigration eventually evolved into another subject matter of political influences and reality. The negative stigma that is often associated with people that look different creates a prejudice against our own fellow man. 
majority of immigrants know the true value of dignity of work as they aim to assimilate into their new adopted home and contribute to our society. These same individuals and or their descendants take on professions like doctors, lawyers, community leaders, sports professionals, create businesses, join either law enforcement or as well as the U.S. military. Some even run for office. Think about it. Senator Kamala Harris, a descendant of Jamaican and Indian heritage, running to be the next vice president of the United States. Her nomination and or victory is already historic in itself. People tend to underestimate immigrants, as Sam Jean conveyed early in our conversation, as he would walk onto the debate stage and his opponents would think they got it in a bag. Until the end of the debate, he would walk away with the winning trophy. It was in our second segment of our conversation that took on a different turn or direction, if you will, as he shared his political values shaped by his parents, notably his father who admired Ronald Reagan. It is interesting to hear how his conservative political leanings eventually change when he attended a Christian campus. I ask that you join me in that podcast as we dig deeper in that part of the conversation. I open the podcast with a quote from Ronald Reagan on the issue of immigration, and we'll close with another famous politician on the same issue. We are a country where people of all backgrounds, all nations of origin, all languages, all religions, all races can make a home in America. America was built by immigrants. That was said by former First Lady and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. This is Michael. Thank you for joining me for, on Cuckoo for Politics. I ask that you follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Until we meet again, stay safe and be well. Peace.